0: If you have a Bible, uh, Genesis uh, 28, Genesis twenty-eight, Matthew 15, uh, those are two places that we're going to go today. Uh, we are closing in on the end of our anchor series. Um, we're, we could probably take this thing for like 10 to 12 more weeks, and we could pick different things that we need to be anchored into. Um, we're going to go two more, three tops, um, and then we're going to move on to something else. Uh, quick review, um, if you missed any of these messages, you can jump online, yourcentralchurch.com, click on media, um, that's where all of our messages are uh, eternally living, I guess is the way to say that, I don't know, they're all there, um, you can catch up on uh, what you might have missed last week or three years ago, like everything is, is there. Um, but we've been talking about in this series about our need to be anchored into Jesus, that um, as followers of Jesus, we're to, we're to follow him, and we're to do the things he modeled for us. Um, and as we anchor into these things, let's build our relationship uh, with him. Um, we talked about what holds us back. Um, we, we talked about the benefits of being anchored in Jesus. Uh, we've also talked about what holds us back in our relationship with Jesus. When we're anchored to the wrong things, um, we're, we, we have we have trouble in our relationship with Jesus, not just with Jesus, um, but also in our relationship with other people. Uh, we talked about week number one. We talked about compassion, and we said compassion is greater than condemnation. And we said we have to be compassionate. Week number two, we talked about forgiveness. And we talked about if we're going to be like Jesus, then we have to be as forgiving as Jesus was. And, and Jesus is patient with us, and he's kind. And again, it goes back to compassion. He's compassionate. Um, and we, we need to anchor into forgiveness, not unforgiveness. But it's easier to anchor in unforgiveness, yes or no? Yes, it just is. A few of us will be honest this morning and say it's easier to hate than it is to love. Like, it just, it just is. It's easier to be anchored in unforgiveness. But the thing that we don't realize is is that unforgiveness that we hold, that anger that we hold inside of us, the people, that, the person that we're mad at, they don't even care. Like, it doesn't even bother them. And so it's, so it's us, and so it hinders us, and it hinders hinders not just our relationship with others, but that hinders our relationship with Jesus. And so we need to be anchored in forgiveness. Um, week number three, we talked about prayer. We kicked off our, third, our 21-day prayer event. Um, there's a week left in that. Uh, if you haven't been a part of it, uh, jump on board with us this week. You can grab a guide on the way out, or you can email us at info at and we'd love for you to finish out this week with us. Um, there's power in, in corporate prayer. And we've been praying for each other. We've been praying for the church. We've been praying for our schools uh, that desperately need it. We've been praying for our community um, that desperately needs it. We've been praying for, uh, against the division and all the other stuff that's happening. So um, jump in. Uh, let's finish this last seven days strong. But we talked about the importance of being anchored in prayer. Last week we talked about Grace. We said we have to be anchored in grace we we specifically talked about God's grace, and I told you that we are going to be a church and we are going to be a people that's all about god's grace and I was thinking about that this week um and there's a there's a really familiar passage in the Bible um maybe you've heard it, maybe you have it uh, um there, there's a there's a section where Jesus says. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. I'm kind of paraphrasing that, but, but you, you know what I mean, right? You know that one? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. A- and I started thinking about that. If we just did that, like it's so simple and so profound, but if, if, if we, if, if Christians, if just the Christians of the world just did that, if we just treated other people the way we wanted to be treated, it would absolutely change the world. Because I'm looking at what's happening on a, a, a global, a national, even, even a local level right now. And I'm telling you, church, the hate and the division that is happening right now is is insane. And so I believe we're always going to have to be a church and a people who show grace. Because listen, we can't say, yeah, we're thankful for God's grace for us. Like we can't come in here and be like, oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound is so awesome. Grace is incredible, and I'm so happy for grace, but then not choose to give grace to other people. Like we can't do that. We can't be those people. If we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, now now let me let me let me kind of say this real quick. Followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about attenders of church. All right, there's a difference between somebody who just attends church and a follower of Jesus. I know a lot of people who have attended church for years, but they've never truly followed Jesus. And so I don't want you to fall into the trap today of, well, just because I attend church, I follow Jesus. No, 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 no. no. I'm talking about a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who is completely sold out to God, somebody who has surrendered his or her life to him, somebody who has said, all of me for all of you, somebody who is truly, according to the scriptures, saved. Those people, man, grace just flows out of you. Like we serve, right? Save people. We've talked about this before. Save people, serve. It just naturally do it. You don't even have to try. It just naturally comes out of you. A follower of Jesus Christ serves people. And one of the big ways that we show grace is by serving others. And so today we're going to talk about being anchored in our giftings, specifically our spiritual gifts. Now, now, let me tell you something else about being a follower of Jesus, not, a tender, not just an attender of church, a follower of Jesus in regards to our gifts. As we follow Jesus, the more and more we follow him, he, he's going to change us. In fact, he's going to change us for the rest of our lives. Like, if you're not changing, you're not following, period. You can't follow Jesus and stay the same. It's a spiritual impossibility. You can't tell me that. Yes, I can. Because anybody that followed Jesus in the scripture consistently and constantly changed every time. And so if you're not changing, I'm telling you, you're not following. You're stuck somewhere. You're, you're in a place where he's telling you to go do something or he's telling you to stop, stop something or start something. And, and you're just, you're not listening. You're at a place where you have stopped following. Because if you're following, you're changing. And one of the things that he's changed, one of the things that I've noticed in the years, is one of the things he's he's going to be changing is our viewpoint on life. He changes the way we see things, and he changes the way we think about things. And so if we're going to buy into the concept that's all over the Scriptures that a follower of Jesus serves, then we're going to have to understand that we've got to see as Jesus sees. And one of the main things that Jesus had when he saw other people was this thing that we have talked about since week one, compassion. It was his compassion that caused him, in many cases, to move, because compassion really is a call to action. Compassion is a call to action. When we feel compassion in our heart, it's a call to action, and serving comes out of compassion, and the reason I'm setting this up with compassion is is this. If compassion is not the foundation for us using our gifts, then our gifts will never be effective. If, if, If our giftings aren't anchored in compassion, and compassion is not the foundation for us using the gifts that God has given us, then our efforts will always fall short. I've told you this for weeks, so much so that the title of this series should have been compassion. Like, seriously, like, thinking back through it, compassion. Like, everything that, we're, everything that we're talking about keeps going back to compassion every week compassion and condemnation week one forgiveness it's got to be it's got to have compassion grace is compassion prayer is compassion like all of this stuff but i told you unfortunately the church in america we're not known for our compassion we're kind of known for our condemnation and so that's what i want to talk about today because i want compassion to be the motivation for us using our gifts here at central church so genesis 28 that's where we're going to start i told you last week we're going to spend a couple of weeks in this section Remember, we started talking last week about Jacob and how Jacob was, was a twin, and his brother, anybody remember his brother's name? Esau, right? Esau's born first and comes out, and Jacob's got a hold of his heel, and he steals the birthright. Jacob named, or his, his dad names him um, Jacob, deceiver, and we went through all of that stuff, and we talked all of that, and, and we said he ran, right? He's a deceiver who literally ran away from his family. And remember, he ran into a place called Bethel, which literally means the house of God. And when he gets there, he has this vision of Jesus standing at the top of the stairway, the, the stairway to heaven. Um, that's where we're going to pick this up, verse 13. The Bible says, there above it stood the Lord. That's Jesus. All right, so Jesus is standing at the top. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Look at this. This is huge. I Will give you underline those four words, because those are huge. Remember that: I will give you. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's huge too. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, this is huge. This is a pack full of all kinds of stuff. And so we're going to hit some stuff in this, or we'll hit a little bit more of it next week. But a couple questions on this in regards to our giftings before we dive in. First one, God gave Jacob a gift, right? Like God gave Jacob a gift. You saw that. He said, I will give you. What did Jacob, this is the question you have to answer, what did Jacob do in order to receive the gift from God? What did he do? Nothing, right? He did absolutely nothing. And and, and don't miss this. What God did for Jacob is the same thing he does for all of us. He said, I will give you. Like, there's nothing you have to do. Like, I'm going to gift you. I'm going to give you this gift. There's nothing that you have to do. And we talked last week about being saved by grace. And not only are we saved by the grace of God, we're also gifted by the grace of God. And, and, and the reason that's so essential is for us to understand, like, like we can agree with what we talked about last week. Yes, saved by the grace of God, sustained by the grace of God. That's, that's great stuff. That's awesome. But a lot of times when it comes to our giftedness, we kind of think that we gave ourselves the gift rather than God giving us the gift. I did this. I built this. I've done all of this. The people come because of this, or people are doing this because of this, or this is happening because of, you know what I'm saying? But any sort of gift, any sort of type of gift that we have, any gift that we do have is a gift from God. And so, yes, because of God's grace, we are saved, but also because of God's grace, we are gifted. Now, here's the second question, and this one's huge. This is where we're going to be for the rest of the day. God gifted Jacob, but who ultimately was the gift for? Who was it for? Who was it for? The world, right, is for the entire world. Remember, God said, I will bless all the people on earth through you. And so what God is saying right here is like, hey, Jacob, I'm going to give you the gift, but the gift is not for you. Which all of us would be like, no, 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 no. Dude, you gave me a gift? Like, this is, this is my gift, right? This, this, every year, every year um, or every month, whatever, we, we, ha- we celebrate staff birthdays here. And we buy a cake for whoever's birthday it is, we, we buy them a cake, and we share the cake, except for one staff member. One staff member, I won't tell you her name, but her initials are Melissa Nystrom, she won't share the cake. It's her cake. She takes the cake home. You got this gift for me. Like, she doesn't share it, right? That That's not what God does. God gives us a gift for the entire world, and when he brings you a cake, it's for the entire staff. I don't know if she's in here right now or not, but We're going to cut that part out and give it to her later on. (laughs) When it comes to our gifts, listen, when it comes to our spiritual gifts, the the grace of God is the reason that we have the gift, but the gift is given to us. Don't miss this. It's for the the world. Now I want to show you where this practically plays out and bring in some personal application. Flip over to Matthew chapter 15 if you've got your Bible open. Um, We're going to look at a story um, in the life of Jesus where Jesus fed 4,000 people. Um, there's a section in Scripture where he fed 5,000, that's Matthew 14. We're, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about where he fed 4,000 in Matthew 15, one chapter later. All right, so two chapters in a row, 5,000, 4,000. All right, in Matthew um, 15, verse 29, the Bible says, Jesus left there and went up along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up to the mountainside and sat down. Now, look at this. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, And many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seen, and they praised the God of Israel. Now, before we move on, (laughs) at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I want to be very clear. That's the kind of church I want us to be a place where the crippled, the mute, the lime, the blame can show up, and we don't kick them out, we pull them in. I've said this for years, and and this is something that Augustine said, and people have taken it and used it and changed it and said things about it, but but I've said this for years. The church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, right? That's the kind of church that we need to be, not a museum of saints, Not where we sit down and we just look at each other and we admire each other and we talk about how holy each other are. It's not a museum of saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And listen, that sounds great. And lots of people would agree with that and rally behind that. Yeah, hospital for saints, yes. In fact, lots of churches all across America would say they want to see people get healed. The problem is they just don't want sick people showing up. And in order for people to get healed, They have to be sick. Yes or no? Yes. And so we're going to be a hospital for sinners. And if we're going to be a hospital for sinners, then that means we're always going to have a messy church. Starting with the guy standing up here preaching right now and spreading out to all of you. We're all messy, right? We're always going to have a messy church. The church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, which I'm going to repeat something that I said last week. I got some pushback on this and, and I don't care, so I'm going to say it again. We're going to care about two types of people here at Central Church, like legit. That's it. People who are far from God and people who care about people who are far from God. Like that's it. That's got to be the mission of our church. We care about people who are far from God and we care about people who care about people who are far from God. And so at the end of the day, in order to do that, we're going to be a messy church full of messy people. And so if you're not messy, you probably don't want to stay here because we're going to mess you up, (laughs) seriously. All right, verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, watch this. I have, what's that word say? Compassion. There it is. I have compassion. Not only does compassion lead to action, but in this instance, compassion is the foundation for the miraculous taking place. Because watch what happens. He has compassion for these people. I have compassion. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. No Taco John's and no Bordenero's, no McDonald's, no pizza buffet like there's nothing i don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way which you know the bible is true because if this isn't about me man i'm out three days not eating. you know how to passed out like seriously and jesus is like i have compassion for these people like ryan i don't want to send them away hungry and and, and the reason he says this is most likely is because in matthew 14 one chapter before The apostles come to Jesus um, before the feeding of the 5,000, and they're like, hey, we need to send these people away. Like, there's all these people, and they're hangry, and they're saying stuff, and we need to send them away. And so Jesus preempts it this time, and he says, hey, there's a lot of people here. They're messed up. They've been following me around for three days. I'm sure they're hangry. I have compassion for these people, and I don't want to send them away. Verse 33. The disciples answered, they're going to give some pushback to Jesus here. And let me say this, it ain't never, ever a good idea to give pushback to Jesus, right? is not. The disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Hold up! These dudes just saw in Matthew 14, one chapter before, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Here they are, Matthew 15, one chapter later, probably just a few days later, and seemingly they've already forgotten the miracle that Jesus had done in the previous chapter. This is a great, great, great reminder that if you're not strongly anchored into Jesus, you can easily drift and forget what he has done in the past. Seriously. I mean, how many times have we forgotten what Jesus has done in our past because of what we're facing in our present? We've all done that, yes or no? Yeah, yeah, God's been incredibly good to us, he's delivered us, he's saved us, he's healed us, or he's done something incredible in our past, but then we get in our present and we absolutely freak out. God, I can't believe I can get this, how am I ever going to get this, don't you remember what I did last week? Yeah, but you don't understand what we did, like Right? That's the same thing the apostles are doing right here in this story. The, the disciple answered him, where can we get enough bread to feed such a crowd in this remote place? And this kind of brings back to the reality of what's happening right here in 2020. Have you ever looked at something, like have you ever just looked at the world and thought, what a mess? What, what a mess. How crazy jacked up is the stuff going on right now? And God, I'm so small, how can I make a difference? How can I step into that mess and make a difference? Like, the world's so big, and it's so, it's so out of, co- like, how, God, how? I mean, we have a world right now that's going absolutely crazy, yes or no? Yes, all you got to do is cut on the news, and there's another tragedy. There's another natural disaster, there's another shooting, there's another riot. I mean, it seems like everywhere you look, there's something that's absolutely causing complete chaos in our world. And when we look at the world, we have the same question the disciples had. What can we do? How can we make a difference? I mean, this crowd is so big. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, there are thousands of people, Jesus, and I'm so small. God, I don't feel like I can do anything significant. I don't feel like I can step into this situation and make a difference. And so Jesus answers them in verse 34. How many loaves do you have? Now, I'd have stopped and I'd have said, enough for me and enough for our boys. Like, that's it. Like, Jesus, the last time, I know you did something cool last time, but, but Jesus, you know, we had to work and we had to do all this other stuff. after you did that? And man, Jesus, like, here's the deal, dude. I'll give you your share. You have compassion for those people. Like, Jesus, we don't even know if we like these people or not, man. Like, here, Jesus, you take it and you do your thing. And, Jesus, we got ours. But Jesus said, oh, I'm going to feed them, but I'm going to feed them by what you have in your hands. He didn't say, hey, y'all sit down and take care of it. He said, how many loaves do you have? In other words, Jesus is asking this question to them, and he's asking it to us. What is it that you've got in your hand? because no matter how small you think it is, no matter how insignificant you might think that you are, I can use that to bring the miraculous. And I love their answer. They say, seven. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish, which it wouldn't have mattered if they had a few big fish. Like it wouldn't have mattered if they had a whale. There are 4,000 men, and this isn't including the women and the kids, right? And everybody's starving, we've established they're hangry. Like this is a crazy situation. But Jesus is saying to them, I want to take what you've got in your hands, and I want to feed these people. Now, common sense tells us that there's no way that seven loaves of bread will feed these people. But see, don't miss this. Jesus is saying, I want to take what's in your hands. I want you to take what's in your hands. And I simply want you to place it in my hands and watch me take it further than you ever could have on your own. Out of this, um, I get this very simple phrase that I try to pray at least once a week, more often if, if I remember it. And I heard somebody say it years and years and years ago, and it, it rhymed, and so it stuck into my head. And, and it's it seriously, like, legit something I'm constantly saying. God, my life and my plans in your hands. That's it. God, my life and my plans in your hands. That needs to be a prayer for every single one of us. God, my life and my plans in your hands, because I realized a long time ago that God's plans for Ryan are way bigger than Ryan's plans for Ryan, and, and, and God's plans for Ryan are way bigger and way better than anything I could ever possibly imagine, and so God, my life and my plans in your hands. Now, there are times, right, where it's like, no, 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 God, I, my, plans, my plans are going to be way better, and I have to catch myself and realize, no, 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 my life, my plans in your hands. Now, listen, this doesn't mean, like, in this text, in this context, if we go to our kitchen today and take out a loaf of bread and give it to God and go, here you go, God. No, 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 no. This is in reference to our spiritual gift, the spiritual gift or the gifts that God has given you. And listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given at least one spiritual gift. In regards to that gift, God simply says, I want you to take that gift, I want you to put it in my hands, and then let me use you to make a difference in the world. But here's the deal. I believe so many people, so many Christians, we don't live up to our potential because we look at the world and we get intimidated by what we see rather than saying, you know what Jesus, here I am. If you could take me and you can use me, I wanna make a difference. My life and my plans in your hands. So spiritual gifts. Let's talk about figuring out what your particular spiritual gift is. Now there are all kinds of books you can read on this. Um, there are all kinds of tests you can take. You can Google spiritual gift tests, and you can take one of those. When you sign up for Growth Track, um, this is Growth Track is one of the things we do here at Central Church. It's kind of like our roadmap um, through Central. It's how we help you get plugged in and how we help you take next steps. Um, we will give you one of these tests um, to help you, and then and then we help you discern through the process. Um, you figure out what it is, and then we get you plugged in, and we help you start operating in your gift. I encourage every single person here to take it. If you haven't taken Growth Track, get signed up today. Mark on your connection card and your bulletin. Stop at the welcome desk on the way out. There's a sign-up sheet out there. The next one is Sunday, September 13th. So in like what is that? Like two weeks. So in two weeks, um, Growth Track. It's after third service. You get food. There's tons of food. It's a couple, two and a half, like three hours long. Um, it's it's awesome. Um, you need to go through that to get plugged in here. So. I encourage everyone to to take that, but i want to give you, um, before you take that, two questions that you can ask that will really get you started in thinking through and discovering your spiritual gift, all right? So two questions that get you going down the track. Um, The first one is this, what do I do well? What do I do well? Now, anytime I teach this, there's always somebody, so I'm going to throw it out there so you're not that somebody today, there's always somebody that says, nothing, I don't do anything well, and you do. You do. To say that is a slap in the face of a holy God who created you on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. He created you in his image. You do something well. And so what is it? What is that something that you do well? The second question is, what do I enjoy? What do I enjoy? So what do I do well and what do I enjoy? Now let me be very clear about this. You have to answer both questions, right? And and you got to know the thing for both questions because I've met some people, you've met some people. They enjoy things they don't do well, and and then they do some things well that they don't enjoy. A couple of examples real quick. Uh, When I was in high school, I thought I wanted to become a vet, a veterinarian, because I thought I enjoyed being around animals. Like I thought I was really good with animals and enjoyed that, so that's what I wanted to do. And Then my sister's cat started peeing in my shoes, and I realized very quickly, I hate cats. And and I figured that there's probably not a great market for a vet that wants to kill every cat that he sees, right? So I probably wouldn't have enjoyed that. I might have enjoyed that. Anyway, on the flip side, I've seen some people do things that they enjoy that they don't do very well at all. Um, For example, Mary and I went to this one church for a while. Um, We've all been to this church. We've all had this church experience. This church wasn't around here. Um, But a a guy got on stage and he started singing, and when he started singing, I laughed loudly. I literally laughed out loud because I thought it was a skit. Like, I thought church was doing a skit on a Sunday morning, man. Like, that's what I thought it was, and I looked down the aisle, and nobody else was laughing, and Mary wasn't laughing, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastically horrible. Like, And so he sings this song, and he is so enjoying himself. And he's into it. He's doing the Carlton, you know. I mean, he's getting down. And he's so enjoying it. But nobody else in the entire church enjoying themselves. And so he finished, and he sat down. And I remember afterwards talking to the pastor, and I was like, are we ever going to let him sing again? And he's like, oh, yeah. He loves to sing. And I'm like, but nobody loves to hear him sing. And he said, this is what the pastor said. He goes, oh, But he has such a great heart. Like, but his voice sucks. And I got in trouble for saying sucks, but I'm the pastor now, and we don't get in trouble for that here. And and I remember thinking, he enjoyed it, but man, he didn't do it well at all. And so the question is, what do you do well? Because when you ask yourself that, when you figure that out, you'll get on the right track of, of, of where you're gifted. What do you do? What do you do well? And what do you enjoy that God has given you for other people? Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Oh, and by the way, let me say this. Gifted people never have to tell people how gifted they are. They just use their gift, and you realize, man, they're gifted. For example, Taylor Swift. I'm on a Taylor Swift kick right now. Don't judge me. My little girl just started her senior year in high school, and I'm having a tough time. And Tay-Tay is speaking to me right now. So stop, stop. You're supposed to be a church of compassion. That's what you're supposed to have right now. And so Taylor Swift, right, does she have to tell you she's a gifted singer, yes or no? No, that chick just grabs the microphone and she goes and you know how gifted she is. And so stop, stop, all of you. So if you know somebody who's always telling you how gifted they are, either, number one, they're not gifted, or number two, they're incredibly insecure in their gift. So what do you do well? What do you enjoy? Because whatever the answer to that question is, listen, don't miss this. All Jesus wants to do is take that and have you put it back in his hands. Because here's what happens, verse 35. He told the crowds to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, look, this is huge, he broke them. Let me say this. Uh, this is not in your notes. Um, I, 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 I put this in like Friday when we were doing the pre-recording stuff, so this was before your notes were like turned in. Um, our gifts are always more effective after we've been broken. Our gifts are always more effective after we've been broken. I want to just say that because it's in the text. Things can go further when someone or something is actually broken. Because, see, Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it. Because if you don't break it, it can't go out into the crowd, right? And so he breaks the bread, and look at this, and gave them to the disciples, and, and they took it to the people. So don't miss this. Jesus didn't give it to the people. Jesus didn't do it. The disciples had the bread. They gave it to Jesus. He gave thanks for it, broke it, gave it back to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. That's exactly how it works with our spiritual gift. God gives us the spiritual gift, or or the gifts that we have. We take them, and we say, here we go, God. I'm going to put these in your hands. He takes them. He breaks them. He gives them back to us, and then he expects us to actually take them out into the world. That's what the disciples did. He broke them, gave them to the disciples, and in turn, they gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. How many loaves of bread did they have when they started? It's not a quick question. How many did they have? Seven. They had seven loaves of bread, and they picked up basketfuls. Don't miss this. God always gives us more back than we gave him in the first place. Every time. No exception. God always gives us more back than what we gave him in the first place. Because, see, they just had a piece of bread. They got baskets in return. Verse 38. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. Why did this miracle happen? It's because, don't miss this, it all goes way back to the beginning, the fact that Jesus started the miracle out by saying, I have what? I have compassion, right? Of compassion for these people. And compassion always leads to action. Listen, if we see a situation and we say we have compassion, but we don't take action, actually, all we're doing is feeling sorry for somebody. Like I said. Because compassion, compassion is more than, oh, I feel sorry for that person. Compassion is more than getting on Facebook and putting up the prayer hand emoji for somebody. Compassion leads to action. And so at the end of the day, I really do believe Central Church is going to reach the world. But, but it's not because of me. It's, it's definitely not because of my preaching ability or my ability to do X, Y, or Z. It's going to be because we have a group of people motivated by compassion for people far from God who are willing to allow compassion to turn into action so that we can reach our community, so we can ultimately reach our world. Because at the end of the day, Central Church is not built on the gifts and talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. And I really do believe that if our church is going to reach our potential, it really does depend on every single person going, you know what, God? My life. And my plans in your hands. Listen to me. Right now, all around us, the the problems in our world, they seem humongous. But God did not call us to just wring our hands. God did not call us to merely pray for the world. He called us to step into the world and make a difference. And it starts when we anchor into our giftings. He had gifted us. Not so that we can delight in our gift, but so that we could use our gift to serve people far from God and ultimately bring them into the kingdom. I'll, I'll close with this. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 4.10, each of you, that's every one of us, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you had received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So essential, listen, I want to say this, this isn't a church where you can show up and just sit on the sidelines. This is a place where you have to come and you have to be involved. It's not a church where you can just show up and evaluate how well you got served by somebody else. We are going to be a church full of people who say, God, my life and my plans in your hands. And you know what? I'm not the greatest at this, and I'm not the best at this, but you know what, Jesus? I have a passion for people you have a passion for. I have compassion for people you have compassion for. So if you can use me to make a difference, here I am. My life and my plans in your hands. Because I believe a group of people like that will absolutely change the world. And it begins, again, when we anchor into our giftings.